0: glory to God when you got to say so So. it says this in verse 1 it says and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses you cannot be saved therefore when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses." Let us pray together. Father, we thank you so very much for this day. Thank you for your presence. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and kindness. And God, today we just ask you to speak to our hearts. I ask you, Lord Jesus, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. God, may we be edified. May you be glorified And may we not only be hearers of your word, but doers. Let us learn the principles, Lord God, and live out what we can, Jesus. We thank you for all this, and we ask you this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, um, please be sure that you get an outline. Very important that you have that to go along with us. I know most of us, this is the last week for Connect um, for the Tuesday night group anyway I believe Saturday and well Sunday obviously today we'll be going to the picnic and um, Saturday connect group met last the last time for the for the, the, the session during the time that we're going to do connect um, our small groups are going to run from September to May and so right now we're going to take a break from the weekly meetings during the summer nonetheless we're going to be getting together and all that being said I want to make sure that everybody has an outline so that way you can follow along and that way we won't waste any paper. so if you don't have an outline raise Raise your hand, and the ushers will make sure that you get one. You can raise your hand if you need an outline. There's a few hands that are up. You can keep those up for the ushers, and they'll bring them to you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So as, as they bring you the outlines, we wanna, I wanna, I'll, I'll start here. But in the intro that you have in front of you, if, if, you have, if you have the outline, as we continue to look at Acts, and as we continue to look through the book of Acts, we find certain guarantees. There are certain things that we're going to find here throughout the book of Acts that are guaranteed. One of them is that people will reject the gospel. Amen. Amen. People are going to reject the gospel. That is a fact. Not everyone, no matter how great you preach, no matter how well you've studied, no matter how many verses you give, no matter how much that you communicate clearly, people are still going to reject the gospel. The second guarantee is that the Holy Spirit will convict hearts and grant repentance. And so some people are going to reject the gospel. Some people don't want to hear anything about Jesus. They don't want to walk with him. They don't want to hear the truth. I gave you the statistic last week that based on some research that is being done for a book that is going to be written called trends in culture that 85 percent of the people who, who um who are who are in the united states of america 85 percent of them say that there is sufficient evidence for the truth of the scriptures and yet the reason why they will not become christian is not because they don't think the bible is true it is because they don't want anyone to tell them how they are supposed to live morally and so the reality is that God has to work and God has to do something in their hearts. God has got to break them and the Holy Spirit does that. And so we are faithful to preach the gospel no matter who rejects it, no matter how many times they say no, we continue to communicate the gospel and love to them. And the third thing that is going to happen is that as God convicts hearts, as God grants repentance, as God adds to his church and new souls come to faith in Jesus, we will be forced to confront issues in order to continue to grow and In a healthy manner. And so as people come to Jesus, as people give their lives to the Lord, people don't give their life to Jesus and everything is perfect. Amen. Amen. I'll I'll give you you a little testimony. A a few years ago, probably right when we first started the church, maybe about two years into the church, I went to New York for the first time. And when... I was up in New York. There's a there's a man. His name is Felix Arroyo, and he is a man of God that I love dearly. He was one of the mentors in my life when I was first came to when when I first came to faith in Jesus. And this brother, you know, he was our, our Bible study teacher. He rebuked me um, wonderfully. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We all, we all need rebuke in our life. Hallelujah. We, we need that correction. But nonetheless, when I met him, I would consider myself at that time to have really been on fire for Jesus. No joke. I mean, I, was, I, I gave you all my story a few times, and I'll share it another time. But I was radically saved. When I met Jesus, I had a serious encounter with him, and I went, like, from night and day. I was serving him faithfully. I was reading my Bible. I told you I was, you know, reading scriptures um, through the whole New Testament and, like, three months of being a Christian. I was sold out. I was really running hard after Jesus. And even in that, you know, while I was walking with him and everything was all good, I thought, you know, I was like Mr. Christian, glory to God. And so 10 years later or something like that, I go and I'm in New York and I meet with my, my brother Felix. And as I, you know, I have this relationship with him, he was talking to someone else who knew me right back then. And they were having a conversation about me or whatever the case was. And Felix res- re- responded to this person, yeah, I know how Jason is. I was like, hold on, and it was a negative, it, it wasn't a positive, amen, glory to God, it, it was a negative, like, yeah, I know how Jason is, I understand why that could happen, and I was like, hold on a second, man, I was like, and I was, I'm like, dude, what do you mean you know how I was, I mean, I was in the scriptures, I was, you know, he said, yeah, man, but you still had a little chip on your shoulder, glory to God, you still had some things that God was working on, it wasn't like you were walking on water after you gave your life to Jesus, right, you were just, you were not, you know, you, you loved Jesus, yes, and you had a heart after Jesus, but there was some things that needed to change, amen, and so what happens is as you walk with Jesus and people come to Christ and listen, if you're really preaching the gospel and you're really sharing the gospel out there with people that need it, you're going to be talking to people that don't know Jesus, that are not walking with Jesus, that are not servants of Jesus. So they're not coming to church all put together. Amen. They could be offensive to you in some ways. Their, their behavior, their attitude, the way that they act, speak, whatever the case may be. You know, you ever been in a conversation and someone just says a word and you're like, is that person a Christian? Yeah, man, you know, I thought you loved Jesus. You were just worshiping you. But you know what, man? People are, people are all a work in progress. Say, we're all a work in progress. Amen. I, 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 like the, I like the mindset. You know, when you go into a construction site, right? You know, the first thing that one of the signs that is posted there is put on your hard hat. Amen? Why? 'Cause something could drop from the top, you know, from, from up there from a scaffold or something and break your head, glory to God. So if you have this hat on, hopefully you'll be safe. Here's the truth. The truth is you need to wear a hard hat around around your brothers and sisters, amen. Because they're being changed from the top down, glory to God. And some stuff happens and it's not because they're nasty or they're mean or they don't love Jesus. It is simply because we are all a work in progress. We all have different things. Some people come to Christ, man, and they are just loving and they don't curse. And they, you know, I mean, they're just great, glory to God. And you're like, man, that person was a Christian before they were a Christian. No, they weren't. Glory to Jesus. They did they still needed Jesus. They were not. You know, moral and good. All that stuff. The point is that as the church grows, as people are added to the church, there's some adjustments that need to be made. And so today we'll talk about corrective action. Say corrective action. When you think about corrective action, it's something that has a negative connotation to it, right? Because what happens is you, you know, you think about someone who gets in trouble and they come to your office if you know you're a boss or whatever or you maybe you were in a boss's office for some corrective action, glory to God. And say, and, and and they were letting you know, "Listen, your behavior was incorrect, and so we're going to give you a warning, we're going to write you up, whatever we're going to do, we're going to do something." But the point of corrective action in the heart of it, if they're doing it right. Amen. If say if they're doing it right, it's not because they're trying to walk you out the door. It's because they're trying to correct your behavior. Amen? They didn't, they didn't put you on a warning because they wanted you to leave. They didn't give you the verbal or right. They wrote you up because they were like, hey, we got we to gotta document this, but our hope is what? That you will get it right. That you will not re, 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 reenact this same behavior. And so in the church, it's the same thing. We, we got to go through some corrective action. What happens is God the Father needs to bring us into his presence and correct us. And one of the things that I want to say is there's two things that we need to be considerate about this morning. And one is, what is it that God wants to correct the church on corporately? But for you as a person, as an individual, and the last question on there is where is the Holy Spirit trying to correct you? What is the Spirit of God trying to do in your heart? What is He trying to align? What is He trying to bring repentance of? What is He trying to deliver you from? What is He trying to shift your mindset on? What is it that you're wrestling with Him in the negative? You're not trying to wrestle with Him like Jacob to be blessed. You're trying to wrestle with Him like I want to do my own thing. Where is it? And listen, all of us struggle in different areas. All of us go through different things. And I said, I, I said it jokingly, but I really mean this. We are all a work in progress. And we need each other in order for us to help us grow in Christ, to help us grow in the, in the gospel and the truth of who he is. And so the Holy Spirit wants to correct and wants to direct. And what happens here in the book of Acts chapter 15 is we see some corrective action taking place. For most of us, if you look down at your outline, for most of us... Confrontation is very difficult, yet if we are honest, it is necessary for our growth as individuals and for the growth of others. I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily like confrontation. Some people would think that I love to, you know, have confrontation. I hate, I I mean, I hate confrontation. I would love to just sit in my little bubble, glory to God, just love Jesus and go to heaven. Straight up. Glory to God. I, 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 don't want, I don't want to tell nobody about themselves. I don't want to confront anyone. I, I just want to you know, come out of my bubble to tell you you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Glory to God. That's what I want to come out of my But I don't want to come out of my bubble, right, to come and tell you, listen, we need to talk about this. Glory to God. I, I, don't, I don't like that. And so most people I find, I mean, just me dealing with people in general, there's like not a whole bunch of people that just love confrontation. Even if they're confrontational, they don't necessarily love confrontation. Glory to God. And so what happens is we don't want to do that, but we need it because if we don't have confrontation, then we don't grow. Amen? Amen. And so confrontation must be handled correctly or we can do more damage than good confrontation must always be done for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for the growth of all involved. Let me say that again. Confrontation, which is something that has to happen, must always be done for the glory of God. It must be done. You come you come to confront. And listen, if it's your children you're confronting, if it's your parents you're confronting, if it's your neighbors you're confronting, if it's a brother and sister in Christ that you are confronting, the one thing that you got to keep in mind is I want to bring glory to God through this confrontation. That's the first thing I want to do because when you go to confront someone and the heart of it is to bring glory to God you know what will happen your tone will be different the words you use will be different you will pray before you go into a meeting you won't just jump in there just like you know somebody used this word the other day gangbusters glory to God you know, just, just like running running up in there, praise the name of... I mean, you, you won't do that. You'll, you'll be more tactful. You'll be more humble because you want to bring glory to God. And then the other thing there is that you will also want it to be for the good of others. You don't want to just confront someone because you want to hurt them or you want to make yourself feel better, but it is for their good. And then also, it is for the growth of all. So you grow, they grow. Wonderful thing. Amen? Amen. The first thing, ask you to repeat this after me. Say, internal conflict is the most important conflict to confront what you find here is that the bible says and certain men came down in verse one from judea and taught the brethren unless you are circumcised according to the custom of moses you cannot be saved if you go to verse five real quick i just want to show you this this is where the internal conflict comes in it says but some of the sect of the pharisees who believed say who believed this is so very important because this wasn't somebody who just showed up in, 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 in Antioch and decided, I'm going to start preaching some heresy. That isn't what happened. These were people who were Pharisees. In other words, they were people who were just like Paul, who were raised up in the knowledge of the Torah and the Old Testament. They understood the law clearly. They understood it. They lived it. They tried to do everything that the law said. That's how they were. And they had one thing if they, were really, if they really had a heart after God. One thing was really their heart. It wasn't to, to, to make people happy. It was to make God happy. That's what they wanted to do. And so when they come here, they're not people that don't believe in Jesus. These are people that believe in Jesus, but they're going over there. And what they do in this, if, if, if anything stands out in this whole conversation, it should be verse 1. And it says this, unless, if you were to underline stuff, be like, unless you are circumcised, right? According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so what he says here is he is there communicating to these people. It's like someone coming in here into this building right now, and I give them the pulpit, and they get up here, and they say, Listen, you guys had a great time singing. You guys had a great time, you know, fellowshipping. You greeted one another. You did communion. That was all beautiful. But there are certain things that you have to do, and if you don't do those things, you ain't saved. That would be something that would deflate our faith. That would be something that would be a shock to us because we've been taught differently. We learned something different. Now, mind you, this is totally foreign to the people that are being communicated with. So this is an internal conflict that is occurring. Why is internal conflict so important? Here's why. You got to confront internal conflict because if you don't deal with the internal conflict, that is what begins to destroy you. See, people always worry about what people are saying about them from the outside. Like us as the church, like we get upset. Like whenever I hear something, you know, I hear bad news about a pastor who fell or another, you know, stupid situation that occurred that's on the news. And I hear that stuff bothers me right that's because it's it's from the outside that i'm hearing this stuff but listen i can't go and you know email every news writer and you know and try to fix all that stuff what i need to worry about is what's going on on the inside i need to worry about what's going on inside the church because if the inside of the church is right if we are living as we're supposed to we can deal with the external conflict We can deal with the external hardship because the internal stuff is correct, but when you don't deal with the internal conflict, what happens is confusion comes, division happens, and then you're not able to move forward, which is the most important thing, on the mission that God has called us to be on as a church because we're so worried about fixing everything that is breaking instead of dealing with stuff the way that God calls us to. So the scripture says here in verse 2 something that I think, you know, may stand out and, and be a little bit shocking. It says this, it says, therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. Now pause for a moment. When he's saying there, no small dissension and dispute, he's meaning that it was an intense argument. There was an intense argument. There was an intense uh, conversation that took place. It wasn't like, you know, two dudes sitting down just kind of whispering. No, 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 no. They were talking. Now, now, remember, see, and th- this is one thing that you got to get from that from that culture to today's culture. In today's culture, we want to be politically correct. We want to go into an office and have a conversation, right? That's how we want to do stuff. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like all my business, and I like to argue. You know, I've been in a situation. I'm like, look, man, come into my office. They weren't doing that. They were like, okay, you bring in this doctrine, we're going to talk about it right now in front of everyone. In other words, open debate. Let's go. So you have some belief, we're going to go at it right here, and we're going to figure this out in front of everyone. So for us, that's like, oh, man, we can't do that because the baby, they weren't worried worried about the babies in the room. They weren't worried about the new converts. They were like, y'all need to hear the truth. Everyone in this room needs to hear the truth, and we're going to go at it. And that's what they did. They dealt with the internal conflict. They confronted it directly and dealt with the situation. He said, after this dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And so you have one group of people, they're not excited like these people are. They're like, y'all got to add some stuff to the faith. You all need to add some things to your Christianity. And this other group, as they're coming and they're on their way to Jerusalem, they're communicating and the people are being encouraged. They get to Jerusalem. When they come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. Then we get to this part. Whenever we attempt, and here was the biggest issue, whenever we attempt to elevate something as being higher than the gospel, our hope is misplaced and idolatry is the inevitable byproduct. Whenever we try to elevate something above the gospel, whenever we try to say the gospel and... Or this is more important than the gospel. What happens is, instead of our hope being in Christ, instead of our hope being in the work of the cross, instead of our hope being in what Jesus has done, our hope goes somewhere else. And then we begin to idolize that thing. We begin to worship that thing. And in this case, it was circumcision and the law of Moses. And so instead of the people focusing, the Pharisee believers, instead of them focusing on what Jesus had done, instead of them focusing on what, what the work of the cross and looking at, at that place, they were like, wait a second. These people, they don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They eat differently than us. They, they, they're totally different. And yet they're rejoicing in the same God that we are. They had issues with that. They were like, no, 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 we need, we, we, we need to make some changes. And so what do they do? They try to bring them into this bondage. And here's what I want you to understand is this. Well-meaning believers can miss the mark of the gospel in the name of pleasing God, in the name of holiness, or by adding to the message of salvation with a proverbial comma or an and when the cross is supposed to be a period for all who believe. And what happens is, I will say, I want to please God. And so when you look back at church history, I mean, you don't have to go very far. You can look back for some of you, you know, you come from the old school, right? And some, some of you came from places where women weren't allowed to cut their hair. Hello? I'm, I'm saying, seriously. Women weren't allowed to cut their hair. Not just that. They weren't allowed to put on makeup. Right? Because that was a sign of holiness. Man, like this goatee, got to shave it off. Glory to God. I've heard, you know, some of the musicians and stuff like that, you, you know, they've, they've gone to churches. When they got to the church to play, they gave them a razor. Straight up. You don't shave, you ain't playing. Because you got to be holy. And so for, for whatever, now listen, I want you to understand something. Holiness is reflected on your exterior. Are you hearing me? You do see holiness on the outside, okay? There, there are some things you can see, but 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 what, what I want you to understand is that it would be legalistic of someone to say everyone has to do exactly this. That is where the issue comes, especially. Now, let, 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 let me bring some balance to this. If the Bible, see the Bible says everyone is supposed to love their neighbor, right? And love their enemy. It, it, it doesn't say some of y'all, it says everyone. You call yourself a Christian, you're supposed to love. The Bible says all of us are supposed to forgive one another. When we're offended and we're hurt, we're supposed to. It says all of us are supposed to. It says all of us should be praying. It says all of us should be singing. It doesn't say the best singers, right? Because that's how, and I did this on purpose. Because sometimes we think, well, they're singing and they sound great. No, 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 we don't sound great. We want you to sound great. We don't necessarily want you up here, but listen, what we want... Is we want you to sound great congregationally, glory to God. See, some of y'all were like, "Is that an invitation?" No. Listen, there are certain people that should lead in certain areas, and certain people that should not. But here's the reality: the reality is, the Bible says that all of us should sing. That's what the scriptures say, right? So th- that means that there is no excuse. There's no. And listen, I have my eyes closed today, so if you weren't singing, I'm not. I'm not like looking at you and talking to you. I'm talking to you, but I wasn't looking at you. Amen. But there's no reason why you just stand there like a lump on a log and don't sing. Just be like, looking around. Hold on a second. The Bible didn't say oh, it's time to look around. It's the time to worship. Amen? Amen. Right? So the Scriptures talk about, talks about, it talks about us. The, I mean, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, I think it's 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says that men would lift up holy hands. That's what it says. Amen. Glory to God men of God, lift your hands up for the glory of Jesus. Not right now, not right now, not right now. I'm, just, I'm saying, I'm saying, during, during, right now, that's just instructive. But what I'm saying is it's, it's biblical for us. He, he says, I will that all men, not some men, would lift up holy hands, praying unto God. And so this is something that the scriptures teach. So the point is if the Bible says that we should do it, then we should all do it. But if the scriptures don't say it, see for some people, I had a conversation with someone, I was doing some counseling and I was talking with them and they have an issue they have an issue with alcohol now I want this this is like the most controversial one one of the most controversial topics it will be one of the most controversial topics until we go to heaven and we're drinking wine with Jesus but here's the point okay I'm just saying I I mean Jesus said it clearly he's gonna drink wine with us that's gonna happen we're not gonna be drunk though in heaven hello somebody walking around like oh well, yeah I got I was drinking with Jesus no 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 It, it ain't nothing like that okay But you will have a drink of the vine with Jesus, and it's not going to be grape juice. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be real. But here's the point. The point is, for some people, listen to what I'm going to say right now. Some of y'all are going to get offended, and that's okay. That's not my intention, but it's going to (laughs) happen. For some people, drinking alcohol is a sin for you. Because you will not have just a little taste. And No, no, no. You're going to go from one to two to three to four. It's a sin for you. Say no. That's it. There's no moderation, none of that. You're not going to do it. For you to do it, it's sinful. For someone else, according to the scriptures, the scripture says what? Not to be drunk. Right? Now let me say, (laughs) that's good. (laughs) So listen, the scriptures say not to be drunk. That's what the Bible says, right? It says don't be drunk on wine. Now what is that? Now now what does that mean? What does that mean if, I, if 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 it says don't be does that mean that everybody in the church should never have a drink? Listen, I'm gonna tell you right now, me, I'll never have a drink. Not because of sin for me, because I wouldn't want to cause anyone to sin. And I wouldn't want to give anyone a license to say, well, Bishop, you know, he has a drink or two, so I can No, no, Bishop don't. If you're gonna follow me, you're gonna follow me and we're gonna drink water together. Glory to God. Yeah, I'm just saying. But the point of the matter is, when we look at what the scriptures teach, when we look at what the Bible teaches, we need to understand that this is what the Bible says is for everyone. And then we need to be honest with ourselves. There's certain things that we should not participate in. Minister Juan, we, we were at the men's thing, and I'll move on from this point after this. We were at the men's, um, the, the, the camping trip, and he was talking about, um, what, what was that movie you were talking about? Yeah, you were talking about a movie. Iron Man, he was talking about Iron Man, and he, and he asked the question because y'all have heard me say this, and you know, uh, Mark Driscoll, they, 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 they say, you know, some things you redeem, some things you reject, and what's the other one? Redeem, reject, and receive, there you go, hallelujah. So there's some things that are just good, right? The Bible tells us that we should eat and be joyful, so we should just receive food, Amen. Don't be a glutton, glory to God. That's what you need to reject. Don't be a glutton, you know, enjoy, right, and, and all that stuff. So that's good. But then he's like, how do you, you know, redeem, you know, or receive or reject this movie? And he was, talk- he was, talk- and, and he was basically sharing with us, you know, he felt kind of convicted, right? This, this, I'm talking about his personal situation when he sat down and watched this movie. What does that mean? That means that if I feel convicted about something, I should never say, well, you know what? So-and-so watched this movie, and it's okay for me. It's not okay for you. Because you are violating your conscience, you are violating your, and you are grieving the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, then what does that mean? There's no redemption in that. It's reject. And so when we when we live our life, we're called to be holy. Our life should reflect Jesus. We should follow the Holy Spirit. We don't condemn others. What we do is we bring the truth of Scripture, which would do what? Produce conviction. Amen. We bring the truth of Scripture, show what the Bible says, and then people get convicted. What these people were doing is they were going ahead and they were misapplying. Say misapplying. Misapplying. They were misapplying the law of God. They were saying, hold on a second, these people need to be circumcised. It is important that we remember this, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Turn there really quickly before I say this. The book of Colossians chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse 6. The book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, it's important that we remember something. And it is that whatever our method of justification is will ultimately determine our method of sanctification. However we are justified, however we are made right before God, that is how we will ultimately try to sanctify or be set apart for God and made holy. Justification is, is made right with God in a legal standpoint. I'm justified by something and then after I'm justified God begins to sanctify me and the book of Colossians chapter 2 shows us something it gives us a really good picture of how we should be justified or how we are justified but also how we are sanctified he says this in verse 6 when you got to say so it says as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him. Now pause for a moment. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. In other words, how you have been justified. How are you justified? How are you made right before God? The Bible says this. God is holy. He is righteous. His standards are holy. The scripture says that we are sinners. We are born into sin. We act in sin. We offend God. We are his his enemies by our decisions. This is what the Bible says. Because of that we will experience the wrath of God for all of eternity which is hell this is what the scriptures teach so God is holy he is just we are sinners separated from him we are under his wrath and the penalty of our sin is an eternal separation from God in hell and then the Bible tells us that God sends His Son, comes in the form of a man, dies in our place to liberate us from that wrath. Not only that, but to give us a new identity, to give us a right relationship with God. This is what the Bible says. But how do I get this right relationship with God? It is through faith in what Jesus has done. It is not because I clean myself up. I realize God is holy. I realize that I'm a, that I'm a sinner. I realize that God is. I'm going to experience His wrath and. So so I decided I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to stop cursing. I'm going to stop going to the clubs. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop smoking out. I'm going to stop fornicating. I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop doing all of these things and now I can come to church. That's what a lot of people do. Well, you know, I got, I got to get myself right. No, that's the problem. The problem is you are trying to circumcise. Hello, somebody. This is what they were trying to do. They were trying, we'll make ourselves right before God. No, no, no. The gospel teaches us something different. It teaches us that we put our faith in Jesus. And so what this verse in verse 6 is saying, it says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. In other words, as you have received his gift, his offer of salvation. So what do you do now? Now you go get circumcised. That's not what he said. He said, so walk in him. In other words, grow in relationship with him. He continues on. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. He goes on to say, in him, you were also circumcised. Say circumcised. See, so the reason why this scripture becomes so important is because what these people were doing in Acts chapter 15 was saying they need to be circumcised. In order for them to be saved, they must be circumcised. That's what they were communicating. But look at what Paul teaches here in the book of Colossians. He said, in him... You, you were also circumcised with the circumcision, made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And because you have put your faith in Jesus, what God does is he circumcises not your skin, but your heart. What he does is, he, is he'll change some external things. There are some things that will change in your life externally. But what he does is he deals with your heart and he changes your heart. Verse 13 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. That's the law of God that accuses us and says that we are sinners by nature. We are sinners by our actions, and we are also under the wrath of God that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he, speaking of Jesus, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphant, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is not of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, introducing into those things, introducing and intruding in, into those things which he has not seen vainly puffed up and his fleshly mind. He's talking about those that would try to teach you that you need to do this or do that in order to add to the salvation that God has already given. Verse 19, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Verse 20 says, therefore, if you died with Christ ...from the basic principles of this world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandment and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in all self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh." Now, here's what the scripture is teaching here. It's pretty clear. Paul is saying, you've been circumcised in your heart. You don't need to worry about trying to to sanctify yourself by doing all of these things to punish your flesh apart from the spirit. Now, understand what I'm saying. He is not saying just, just live like a heathen. That's not what he's saying. He is not saying, don't worry about the laws of God. That is not what he's saying. The Apostle Paul penned all, almost all of the New Testament laws for us and made it clear what were the commands that we were to obey. He makes it crystal clear. He's not telling us that you just do what you want to do. But what he is saying is, there are some people who put the cart before the horse, the horse is the gospel. The power of our lives, the reason why I'm able to live holy is not because I fast, it's not because I pray, it's not because I read and memorize and meditate on the scriptures, it's not because I don't go to that movie, it's not because I don't go to that place, it's not because I don't hang out with those people, it is because the power of the gospel is resident in my life and it is the spirit of God that enables me to live holy. But when I decide that I put my faith and all of the things I say no to, I never experienced the power of the one i say yes to and so what god wants for us is for us to understand and communicating this is what the corrective action is about is that these people are coming on the scene you can turn back to acts chapter 15 now is these people are coming on the scene and they're saying hey you don't you can't just put trust in what jesus has done you need to be circumcised and you need to obey the laws of god you need to obey all the commands that needs to be your focus and your goal and so we continue on and say, say this with me, um, the second thing. Say, corrective action requires consideration of all the facts. It requires consideration of all the facts. You look at verses 5 through 18. It says this. It says, but some, I'll read it through and then we'll go back and touch on a couple of points. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came, to, came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, remember they had the dispute earlier, they're having some more dispute now, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the hearts, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all of his works. And so church history, what we see is throughout church history, when we look at church history, there's at least seven different councils that they had. And so what what happened in these councils, they were similar to this one in Jerusalem. This one in Jerusalem is the first one that's recorded. The most important one, by my opinion, because what happens is, in these other councils, they asked very important questions. They talked about the deity of Jesus. They talked about the Trinity. They talked about these different doctrinal things that are very, very important. But in this particular council, they answered the one question that is the most important, and that is, what must I do to be saved? They answer the most important question to every man. Every man on the earth needs to hear the answer to this question. What must I do to be saved? Do I need to change my lifestyle in order to be saved? No. When I get saved, my lifestyle will change. Did you hear what I just said? No, no. See, because people, again, they'll be like, oh, well, I got to change. Wait a second. Does the power of God enter our lives and change us? Do, 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 does it change us of course it isn't and, and listen i want to say this don't think that the power of god is going to change you just because okay i raised my hand or i said a prayer or whatever the case is and now i'm just going to go out there i'm never going to pray i'm never going to read my bible and i'm just going to be holy all of a sudden that isn't the truth what do the scriptures say the same way that you receive jesus right jesus christ lord so walk in him how do you walk in jesus in relationship how does he change my heart In relationship. How does he show me what's right and what's wrong? Relationship. He reveals to me through the word of God what his will is, what his commands are, what he declares right and what he declares wrong. And as I am in relationship with him, as I am listening to him communicate with me, I'm not just communicating to him, but I'm listening to him. As I am doing that, my heart becomes more conformed to his image and his likeness. According to First Corinthians, I believe it is, we are changed from glory to glory. As we look upon him How do we do that? We do that through the meditation of the scriptures Being in the word of God And the word of God begins to change our hearts The word of God begins to transform our lives But it starts with us becoming believers it starts with us, it doesn't start with us writing a list of things we have to do. It starts with us becoming believers and believing the gospel more and more every day, understanding more and more of what Jesus has done and realizing that I have been set free by the power of the cross. I've been set free to live and walk with Him. And so I said, corrective action requires consideration of all the facts. And so what they did was, and as you as you read through this, I'm just going to point out a couple of things that happened. In verse 5, you see that b- the believing Pharisees, they present their argument. They come, they say, these are our facts. Then the Bible says that they had some dispute. The leaders considered and disputed the matter in verses 6 through 7a. And then Peter testified of his experience and explanation of salvation by faith in verses 7 through verse 11. The next verse the, the, the next verse there is where the apostle Paul and Barnabas, where they begin to testify. And what they're doing is they're confirming what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, God chose me to preach the gospel. He chose me to share with the Gentiles. And then Paul and them come and they say, listen, and here's what happened. When we were over there, Peter says he gave him the Holy Spirit. Y'all remember back in like chapter 10, the Bible says when Peter was preaching, the people began to speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit filled them. And what happened? He said, man, how can we deny them to be baptized? God has honored them. He's shown that they had faith. And so God shows that their faith is just as good as ours. They're Gentiles. They're not Jewish, but their faith is the same. And he goes on to say, in other words, that's the the witness of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul and, and Barnabas say, and when we were out there preaching the gospel among them, the Holy Spirit was doing signs and wonders. So again, the witness of the Holy Spirit through two other guys. But I want you to notice it doesn't stop there. Because then James gets up and he says, this agrees with what the scriptures teach. Now listen, this is so very important for us in our lives. It is that we don't live by experiences alone. Are you hearing me? That we don't base our beliefs and everything on our experiences alone, but that we go to the scriptures. That we look at what does the Bible teach on this particular thing, whatever it is that I'm dealing with. Whatever it is that I have questions about. What is it that the Bible says? Because the final authority is the Scriptures, not my experience. The final authority is what the Word of God teaches, not the experiences that I've had. And that's why Paul and Peter were confirmed by James who goes and communicates what the Scripture says. And so what they do is they conclude the matter, which is this, is that if salvation was going to be a fair offer, it would have to be accessible to all men, not just an elite group who were going to obey the law. It had to be offered to everyone equally. And here's what happens when you preach the gospel. The gospel condemns all men under the same judgment. And at the same time, it offers all men the same liberty from that judgment. That's what the gospel does. The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, confrontation handled correctly leads to liberty. Look at verse 19 with me. It says this. It says, therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we would write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogue every Sabbath. In other words, what they're saying is, we don't have to go and impose a bunch of laws on them. They're going to hear the laws of God. God is going to convict their heart and God is going to show them what they need to abstain from, what they need to do, what they need not do. God is going to communicate that to them. Goes on to say, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from, from, from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by the word of mouth, by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from the, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they had when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. When they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And so what happened is this, in the beginning of this, uh, of this chapter, these Pharisees, these believers, they go down to Antioch, they begin to tell people, you got to do this in order to be saved. Then, then they come and they have the dispute in Jerusalem. When they have this discussion, they are pointing out. And remind you, the Bible says that they're disputing. So that means that they were going back and forth. They were saying their part. They were saying, you know, the apostles were saying their part. They were going back and forth, listening to each other's arguments. And in that, what was happening was they were trying to say, they, they were they were doing this unknowingly. And this is why this is such a problem. When you add something like, I have to do the law in order to be saved. They were bringing bondage upon the Gentile believers. And at the same time, they were denying the effective work of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says that the veil was torn. Y'all know that, right? The scripture says the veil was torn from the top down. In other words, God was reaching out to man. He was saying, I don't want there to be a separation. I'm sending my son to die for you. And what they were doing by saying they got to keep the law is they were literally restitching that veil saying, nope, we're going to put a separation between us and God again. God didn't want that separation that was there. The Bible says that Jesus' blood is a living way unto God's throne room. What they were saying is they were kicking that blood, making it worthless, saying, Nope, that blood isn't enough for you to get into God's presence because you have to do A, B, and C before you're good enough for him. What they were doing was they were rebuilding the wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles. Because what is happening is, the scripture said that there is no Jew, nor Gentile. They were all the same in Jesus. The Bible said earlier that we talked about in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles. Peter and them are like, look, man, they're they're, they're the same as us. In God's eyes, God shows no favoritism. And what they were saying was, you know what? That's not true. You got to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. That's what they were saying. You got to become like this you have to be circumcised before you can be accepted by God. And lastly, which is the worst of them all, if you, if you ask me, because this is the one that was going to be the hardest part for anyone, because nobody else would have seen anything else. They, wouldn't, they maybe wouldn't have got all those points that I just made. But the one thing that they were doing was they were putting a yoke of bondage upon the necks of those believers that Peter said, we couldn't bear it, nor could our fathers. So they were going to be living the rest of their life trying to please God, striving to please God, trying to make God happy instead of trusting the cross and what Jesus had done as being enough. And understanding that you need to repent of sin. Absolutely, you need to acknowledge when you sin against God, when you uh, when you when you dishonor Him. You don't play with grace. Let me make this clear, because there are some people who would take this message to another extreme. See, there is one extreme over here, and is the one that they were talking about that you had to do all of these legalistic things in order for you to be accepted by God. But then there is the other extreme of this uh, of this pendulum, and it is where you begin to believe something different. Well, you don't have to do anything and you're cool with God. You can live how you want to live and God is all right with you. That is not true. That is called hypocrisy. That is called receiving the grace of God in vain because your life is not changed. But here is the problem. The problem is when I decide to fall on one side or the other, what I need to do is come to the place where I really and fully and truly am growing in the grace and knowledge of who Jesus is by the scriptures, by the gospel, and that my life is becoming more like him. Because then obeying him is not a burden, but it is a blessing. Then doing what he says, I understand that when God says no, it is for a reason. And here's the thing. You want to test your maturity level in Christ? Think about how you act to the things God says no that you can't do. And compare that to a little child who doesn't understand why mommy and daddy are saying no, you can't do that. When mommy and daddy say no, usually it's because they want the best for you. It is the same thing with our God. When he says no, it's because he knows the best for us is not found in that behavior. The best for us is not found in that action. And ultimately, here's the thing. The worst for us is locked up in that action. The wrath of God is locked up in that action. When I decide that I want to go against what God says that I should not go against, I store up for myself His wrath. Now I don't know if, I don't I don't know about you, but that, that is a scary thought to think about. Know, you, you, you know you know you know y'all seen that that show? I don't know it's like it's, it's about people that are like pack rats. You know that I don't know I don't know what's called hoarders. There you go. And what they do I you you I mean I saw one of these shows. I mean this woman had newspapers all you couldn't even walk. I mean you were like going like I mean I don't even know how she got up in, in the house. But here's the point. The point is she was hoarding stuff. She was storing up stuff. She was putting all this stuff in here. Here's what happens when I live a life of sin. I am literally storing up, like that hoarder, the wrath of God. I don't see it today. But if I don't repent of my sin, if I don't turn from my sin, then what happens is I don't put my faith in Jesus. In eternity, I have stored up his wrath against my life. That's a scary thought. The beauty of it is is that Jesus comes to liberate us from that. Jesus dies so I don't have to fear. See, today, that's a scary thought when I think about people that I know that don't know Jesus. It's not a scary thought for me because I'm not a a person who is practicing sin. I fall short just like anyone else in this building. But I'm not over there just blatantly sinning and dishonoring God and just doing what I want to do because it's all good because he died on the cross for me. That's not good. Those are the type of people that Jesus says will come to me and I will tell them, part from me, I never knew you. Liberty in Christ is not a license to sin, but a freedom from the power of sin and an enabling or an empowering of the Spirit of God to walk in obedience to necessary commands. And so he goes on here, and we'll look at this in in, in the latter, in verse 28. It says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Say necessary things. Necessary. And he gives... Four things they could be bound, they they can be they can be um, dealt with in three areas. The first one is this, and we'll deal with these. These first two you'll probably be okay with like, okay, yeah, I can get with that. The third one, not so much, but we'll work with that anyway, and I'll talk to you about it. The first one is that he tells them, as he says, that they should stay away from things polluted by idols. In context. What he's talking about is in those days, what they did was they, you know, just like, you know, people nowadays, they do the same stuff. In order for them, you know, people would sacrifice meats and things like that to their gods. And then they would go to the marketplace and they would sell them. And they go to the marketplace to sell those meats. They would go out there. They would sell them to the idols. Well, when you read forward in, in like 1 Corinthians and stuff like that, Paul is talking about not eating stuff that is polluted to idols. And, or that, that is not dedicated to idols. And what he says is this is when you go to the marketplace, don't ask any questions. Just say, Yo, I need that piece of meat, go ahead and buy it. He said, if someone tells you that it's been offered to an idol, you don't buy it. He said, if someone invites you to go eat at their house, don't ask anything for conscience sake. Just pray. Say, Lord, thank you for this food. If they tell you this food was sacrificed to an idol, don't eat. Right. This, these are the these are instructions that Paul gives because these are the type of things that were happening. Now, now to, in today's day, unless like some breaking news came out, we wouldn't know, you know, what vendors, you know, they, they like sacrifice their businesses to idols. I'm sure there are, okay? We don't know that, but here's the point. The point is he's saying anything polluted by idols. Here is the big picture. Stay away from idolatry. It's not just about eating, it is about staying away from the practice of idolatry. In our days, you know, we don't think about idolatry in the right terms. We think of, a, of some kind of statue or something that we bow down to. You're like, oh, well, I don't bow down to a statue. Well, some people, you bow down to the statue of your car. I'm just saying. And listen, I joke with people about that. And if I joke with you, I'm not talking to you right now. But listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Some people, they bow down. I mean, that car, if it has some dirt on it, I mean, that that, that is their idol. That is their God. Why? Because it's reflective of who they are. When I pull up, they got to see, you know, my stuff shining because this reflects who I am. Really? So your identity is in that car? Let me see. Do do, do you think about that when when the things are coming out of your mouth? I'm just saying, your car looks great, but how does your mouth is your mouth as shiny as your rims? Glory to God. I'm not talking about your teeth either. Hello, somebody. <laughs> Behavior. Stay away from idolatry. Some of us, man, we, we just we just idolize ourselves. Hello. We just love looking in the mirror. We're just like, I look all this. I mean, that's some, some of us. Some people are just like that. They some of us, our idol is our spouse. See, you know why it gets quiet? Because Some of your idol is your children. We, 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 an article the other day—I don't know who sent it to me or where I found it—but it was talking about how parents are with their kids, and you know when they go out in public, you know when their kids act up, they don't—they they don't care so much about the child's behavior; they care that the child embarrass them. They care more, they care more about how they look than the reality. Yo, my child got some foolishness that needs to be driven from their heart. Glory to God, right? Because in the house, they could act a full backflip here, jump there, run there. You wonder why they're doing that. Because they're doing it in the house, glory to God. If they're doing it all there, then what are they? They're going to do the same things outside. That's just the reality. But it's not about kids. Well, their kids are going to, look, I'm not, let your kids run, glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Let them run. Just let them be, cra- I'm, I'm joking. Don't, don't let them be crazy. I'm, you know. <laughs> the point is, we, some of us idolize our children. Our appearance different. We 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 have these different idols. Some of us worship money. That's one I mean we 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 are lovers of money. Well I ain't got no money to love. Listen, that doesn't mean you don't love it. Hello. (laughs) You're, you're, you're like that You're like that single person who's got a list of things they want, you know? So, so anyway, you're like, I want this in her, that in her. she got to have this, this, and that. You're that person. I want this, this. When I get money, I want all of these things, Lord. You're working hard to get those things. Really? Hold on a second. Are you a lover of money? Are you a lover of Jesus? See, the point is, when we look at idolatry, it's not about, it's not about a statue that I bow down to my pride, my self-righteousness, those things become idols and what, and, what the, and what the apostles and elders came to the conclusion of, stay away from idolatry. In our day, recognize the idols in your life. Repent of those idols and don't let yourself be driven by those idols. So we can all get with that, right? Idols, we, we shouldn't stick with idols. The second thing is, he says, stay away from sexual immorality. The first thing is, Stay away from idolatry. In that culture, in that time, idolatry was something that was rampant. It was something that was in your face. I mean, like, you know, right there. You knew this. In, in our day, a lot of it has to do with our heart condition. Not so much on the exterior. Sexual immorality was another thing. Now, the reason why this was so important, because in those religions, what happened was, they had these orgies and these different things that would go on in, in, in pagan worship. This was part of worship now. This was part of worshiping their gods. It was saying stay away from sexual immorality. In some translations, it says stay away from fornication. The original Greek word there is the word "pornēia," which is the word that we get pornography from. And it covers every form of sexual immorality. So he's saying, stay away from fornication. Sex outside of marriage, stay away from that. Says, so stay away from adultery. That means having sex outside of your marriage. He says, stay away from that. There's something called bestiality. Now listen, we laugh about this, but that is sex with animals. And what happens is, if it's in the Bible, there's people that were doing it. It's not warning. It's not, it's not just giving you a warning. Oh, just in case. No. There were people that missed the memo, right? When Adam was in the garden with the animals, there was none like him. I'm just saying. You'll get that on the way home, right? I'm saying. The point is, it's any kind of sexual immorality. Now listen, back then, they didn't have internet like we have. So you know what that would cover? It would cover? It would cover all that stuff on the internet that is ungodly all of those things, it says stay away from sexual. The Bible says there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality among the church. Not even a hint. We shouldn't be joking about things like that. We shouldn't be laughing about stuff. This is what he's saying. He's he's talking to us, saying stay away from idolatry, stay away from sexual immorality. Those things dishonor God, those things separate you from God, those things are a bad testimony. Now remember this, Because in this conversation they had, they were talking about how are Jewish people and and, and Gentiles going to get along? How are they going to have a relationship? How is this going to work? Well, the Jews would be offended if you were a person who was eating foods that were sacrificed to idols. They would be offended if you were participating in those things. They would be offended if you were participating in sexual immorality. They would be offended by that. They would think you were a total heathen. But there was something else there. And the last thing is says: stay away from blood and things that are strangled. Now, this is the one that some of y'all are going to be like, man, I like my food rare. Glory to God. Right? Some of y'all, I don't know. Some people like that. I don't personally. But anyway. Is it wrong to eat blood and why? And you know, why can't I have something rare if I like it rare? You know, that's the way they say we should have it or whatever the case may be. Here is the point that I'm going to tell you in this here, this is not a commandment like they're going to hell because of this. This is not that. What this is communicating though is this would fall under, if you look at it from this place, the book of Genesis before the law, chapter 9. The scripture says this, it says when, when Noah was coming out of the ark, you remember this, prior to the ark, people were vegetarians, right? That's all they ate. When they come out of the ark, the atmosphere changes, and now the Bible says that they're allowed to eat meat. The same way they're allowed to eat vegetation, they're allowed to eat meat. And then this is what the scripture says. The scripture says that when God is giving him these commands and telling him you can eat meat, he says, but don't eat anything with its life in it. And he goes on to say, with the blood because the blood is a sign of life and so when you do that you are you, you are you are symbolically doing murder and so what happened was these Jewish people, they were like, they were not. I mean, they, they have, that's where you get the whole thing kosher meat. You know, it's because there's a certain way that it's prepared. It's cut a certain way. It's drained a certain way. It's prepared a certain way. There's certain things that happen. And so for us, well, in, in those days, what, what, what he was saying was, listen, don't eat meat like that. Because if you're going to have fellowship. See, in those times, they had love feasts. They were eating together all the time. They were participating in communion together. And these were people who were Jewish and they were, they were offended by that. And Paul later on elaborates and he's like, listen, if you're eating with someone and they, you know, they find this offensive, don't eat it. When you're with them, don't participate of it. He said, don't let your liberty be judged by them. This is what the scripture says. And so my point is, because y'all are waiting to see what I say, eat your meat how you want to eat it. Just be careful who you're eating it with. Amen? Right. I'm just saying. Just I, I mean, just, you know, you got to... You've got to look at this from what, what, what the Scripture is trying to communicate and bring communion to those people in those days. Now, the last thing that I say is this, and I am closing. When the church agrees on the essentials of the gospel and commits to obeying the commands of scripture that is the foundation for encouragement and edification and so here is what happens they make this they they have this dispute after the dispute they figure out what they're going to do they bring the letter there and the bible says they sent judas they sent silas paul and barnabas were there there was a bunch of people that came brought this letter the church was encouraged they were strengthened they were built up And the Bible says that Judas and Silas, being prophets, they began to minister, and they exhorted and strengthened the church some more. Why? Because they dealt with the internal conflict. They dealt with what needed to be dealt with, so now they could focus on what needed to be focused on, which was what? Building up the church, which should be our heart, to see each other built up, not being bound by internal conflicts. But we do need to deal with those, and that we can move forward in the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? and the last thing is this or here's the question actually I already said the last thing but the question that I remind you of that I said earlier was what is the Holy Spirit trying to correct in you what is he dealing with you on maybe he's dealing with some of the stuff that I was talking about here today maybe other things that you know God is trying to deal with you on he's trying to deal with your heart he's trying to correct you and that way you can grow fully and be and move forward in your relationship with him what is it that he's trying to deal with you on And so today I want to pray with you. If you all stand to your feet, bow your heads with me. Grab your neighbor's hand. Let me pray with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, we thank you so very much. We thank you so very much for this day that you've given us. We thank you so very much for your grace and your love toward us, God. We thank you because you love us, Lord. God, we thank you because you have drawn us out of darkness, God, and you've brought us into the marvelous light of your kingdom. Father, today we just humble ourselves before you. We acknowledge your greatness. We acknowledge your power, and we ask you, Spirit of God, to fill us afresh. God, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters in this place, Lord. I know that you, as with me, are dealing with our hearts in different ways, God. You're dealing with different areas. And God, I pray that you would just grant us grace to trust you. Grant us grace to believe your truth. Grant us grace, Lord God, not to turn away from you, but to submit to you, to humble our hearts before you, God. Grant us grace, dear Lord, to faithfully seek out your word, dear God, that you may be able to truly conform our hearts to your image and your likeness, that our lives would externally reflect what you are doing inside of us, God. Well, I pray for those in this place God that may be dealing with some internal conflict my God Heavenly Father that may be dealing with stuff in their marriages maybe be dealing with stuff in their families may be dealing with stuff in the church Heavenly Father just things that need to be confronted and dealt with my God I just pray Jesus that you would grant them grace that you would grant them grace to be faithful to confront those things for your glory for the good of others Lord God and for the growth of all Lord Jesus God, I really ask you, dear God, to give us the willingness to submit to your process as you bring us more into your image and your likeness, God. Father, we do thank you so much.